0: We need to close the deals. We need them to say yes. And they should, the goal is they look at the proposal and they go, wow, you nailed it. This is exactly what I need. Buyer
1: behavior isn't the same and the old sales funnel is no longer relevant. So Square Two Marketing is smashing the funnel and encouraging businesses to think differently about their approach to marketing sales, customer service, and revenue generation. Join us for season one of Smash the Funnel, the podcast. With our amazing lineup of industry experts, we'll introduce you to the new cyclonic buyer journey and we'll provide insights and tips on how to optimize your business's approach to sales and marketing. And now for your host, Mike Lieberman, CEO and Chief Revenue Scientist at Square Two Marketing. Hey, everybody, Mike Lieberman, uh, CEO and Chief Revenue Scientist here at Square2Marketing. And again, uh, so happy to go- welcome you guys back to episode eight of Smash the Funnel, the podcast. Uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking about the decision making stage why dotting the I's and crossing the T's might actually be killing your deals. And I am really thrilled to have uh, in this episode um, Matt Sunshine, Managing Partner at LEAD G2 and Center for Sales Strategy. In the last episode, we talked to Tyler Lassard, VP of Marketing at Vidyard, and had a great conversation about how customers rationalize their decisions prior to getting started and how that's an actual buyer journey stage that we need to plan for, uh, and that is represented in the Cyclonic Buyer Journey, the rationalization stage. Remember, people make purchase decisions emotionally, And Tyler talked about how video influences uh, that emotional side of the purchase decision, but we need sales and marketing and execution to also be able to influence the rationalization stage too. But today, we're going to talk to Matt. Matt is one of the few people in the industry who I respect from a sales perspective, and if you've been following along with the different episodes, you know that we're not just talking about marketing, but we're talking about marketing, sales, and actually delivery as well. But one of the most important stages in the buyer journey is obviously the decision-making stage. The time where the prospects actually have to sign their paperwork, um, the time where you get to ring your gong or or, or send your new client welcome email out, whatever you guys do to celebrate getting that new customer. It's, It's one of the most important stages and it's honestly one that I see getting exponentially more complicated for a variety of reasons. Uh, and we're going to talk about some of that with matt today so matt welcome to the welcome to the podcast welcome to episode eight and thanks for joining us thanks for having me
0: excited to be here
1: no problem so matt uh, maybe you could kind of give the listeners a little bit of background on you and your 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 company and kind of how you got here i know you have a really long and rich uh, set of experiences on the sales side so maybe you could uh, help the audience get a little up to date on who you are and, and what you guys do
0: Sure. Excellent. Uh, yeah. So I've been in the sales game for uh, close to thirty years. Um. Wow. Yeah, close to thirty years. And um, as a salesperson, as a sales manager, as a as a sales leader, I always was uh, very focused on making sure that you know came that we understood the client's desired business results and and brought back a, a good solution. So my background has always been in media sales, radio sales, uh, radio advertising, uh, TV advertising, uh, uh, magazine, uh, anything that has to do with helping uh, businesses get their message out to consumers. And so that's how I grew up in the business. Um about 12 years ago, I joined uh, the company called the Center for Sales Strategy. Uh, these guys, uh, Center for Sales Strategy is a sales performance company. The, the reason for being is to turn talent into performance. And so uh, there's an understanding that the sales performance formula would be Uh, Talented talent plus training plus tactics. So you get the right people you put in the right process, the right systems, the right training, get them to be able to do that at at a high level and then implement tactics that will support your overall strategy. So as a sales leader, I hired the Center for Sales Strategy. I was a client for 10 years. I implemented all of these disciplines. And then 12 years ago, I joined the company and a few years back, about three years ago, I became one of the managing partners. Um, our primary vertical that we, we, we work with B 2 b customers. Uh, we have a large presence in the media space, radio, TV, newspaper, cable, um, outdoor pure play digital companies, but we work with everyone. I mean, anyone who's a B2B sale, that's, that's where we live about seven or about eight years ago, we noticed that, um, one of the biggest challenges salespeople were having, were setting up quality appointments. They, the lead generations part of this was the most difficult thing and salespeople instead of, uh. Instead of going on appointments and doing good discovery work and bringing back good solutions and getting the decision to move forward, they were spending more time cold calling and frustrated trying to get appointments and that led us to inbound marketing We were doing it for ourselves we were our first we were our first client um, and then we started uh, helping customers do it and like you and I have talked in the past, our approach has always been more about we do marketing to help you generate sales, not so that we can win awards for doing marketing. Um, not that there's anything wrong with winning awards for doing marketing, but our approach has always been, let's drive revenue, let's let's make that part of it work. Um, and then about five years ago, we stood up uh, our own inbound marketing agency called Lead G2 that really focuses on the um, lead generation and lead intelligence and everything having to do with the front end of that sales process. but powered by the 35 years of sales performance background of a, of a company that that's what we do for a living. So there's me and uh, the company's update.
1: Great. That's 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 really helpful. Thank you so much. So um, like you and I talked a little bit prior to uh, starting the re- recording, the, the buyer journey has, has really changed dramatically and the focus of the podcast and the focus of our book and what a lot of other people are, are talking about is the funnel concept is now gone, and you know what's going to replace it. You know, as I started to, as we started to write the book, I started to do some research, and I really didn't know that the funnel was actually first created back in like something like 1890. I mean, like this thing is 100 years old. I really think it's time to shoot it and put it to bed and actually see what's going on in in a lot more detail. And I'm really excited that some other people and some other companies, some other smart um, marketing and salespeople are saying the same thing, Um, but we have to replace it with something. And what we're talking about replacing it with is this concept of of, uh, a series of cyclones. And and really the the, the stages of the buyer journey aren't really that much different. We did break a few of them out, so it's a little more uh, micro-focused to help us apply sales and marketing tactics to those stages but the, the the stages are not really dramatically different, but I think what's dramatically different is understanding that buyers are in these cyclones, and they are they are overwhelmed with content and overwhelmed with ideas and overwhelmed with advice and guidance and supposed experts who are all trying to tell them what to do they're now also overwhelmed with technology and they're over overwhelmed with how they're supposed to be tracking the performance and marketing and sales, in my opinion has just gotten so much more complicated than it was even 10 years ago that I think a lot of people are struggling with, well, what do I do? And how do I do it? And when do I do it? And what tools do I use? And how do I measure whether it's successful or not? So with each of our guests, we're drilling into one of the stages. And you've been lucky enough to get the decision making phase. Um, I don't know if you've seen this or not. Um, I'm going to ask you to, to comment and give me some of your observations at a macro level on what you're seeing is happening to clients at the very end of the of the game here like literally we're about to push the ball over the goal line you know i keep seeing deals stalling i keep seeing people you know still you know hesitant to sign because they just don't have all their questions answered and again it just seems like it's way harder to get that final paperwork you know i've had a deal in legal for a month you know we got the verbal but they just keep you know, looking at every little detail of a very, very small and simple agreement, just can't get them to sign off on it. Um, so tell me at a macro level, what, what do you see going on in the world with people who are literally about to make decisions, or about to sign the paperwork, you've gotten the yes, but you haven't got the contract back, like t- tell me what your observations are what you're seeing out there.
0: Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll address this from both the seller point of view and also from the customer point of view because i think both are are fairly important to this discussion um from the seller point of view they're being pressed by management to have a certain number of asks per week a certain number of proposals that go out the door each week um sales management is is uh is studying a pipeline although it might not be the right pipeline to to be studying um but one of the the popular uh kpis that people will look at is how many proposals are going out each week and what the average ask is so if that's your paradigm if you're a sales rep and that's one of the ways that you're being held accountable one of the things that's being discussed in your sales meeting and uh in your in your eye in your one-on-ones then you're going to be in a hurry to, to pitch, to present. And, you know, we have a saying that we say, um, slow down the proposal and speed up the sale. Right. Um, uh, so many times maybe you to...
1: sending proposals to the wrong people who are not ready to sign, or maybe not
0: even good prospects for you. Exactly. Cause you're, you're trying to satisfy your boss, which just simply is, well, Mike, how many proposals did you get out last week? And he's like, okay, I better get out another one. Okay, I talked to you one time. Here's a proposal. And so that gets caught up. And from the buyer side of this, and I'll flip back and forth a second, but from the buyer side of this, buyer doesn't want your product. They want a, they want a solution to their problem. If your product or your company can help them to solve the problem that they have then sure, they're going to move a little bit quicker. But understanding and identifying the desired business results that a business owner has becomes the real job of the seller. And then then presenting that solution such a way. So we have a concept, and you're welcome to use this as well. We call it the no surprise proposal. And it simply is the matter of slowing it down enough to say, so is there anything in this proposal that I might be presenting to you that you would say no to? Is there anything in here that causes you to pause? Have that discussion before, because in the buyer's mind, here's what they're doing. And you've laid it out in in your process, right? They are, you know, from a business owner, they're either thinking things are good or gee, I need to start rethinking the way things are going. And then once I get in that mind of, I need to start rethinking this, Well, then I go into, as you say, educate, you know, I learn, I got to, I got to learn. I might just be in the stage where I'm just now figuring out what the problem is, but I think as, and then they go through the consideration, the evaluation, all the steps that you eloquently lay out. And I agree with salespeople rush to get the pitch. And I I jokingly, when I speak in front of sales organizations, I say, and well, I always ask, does your organization pay on pending? Because until we change commission structures or change pay that we pay on pending, I don't see what the rush is to have so much pending is. We need to close the deals. We need them to say yes. And they should, the goal is they look at the proposal and they go, wow, this you nailed it. This is exactly what I need. So it's about asking better questions, right? And saying, hey, when I show you this proposal, are you gonna to have to have a legal look at that? Because maybe what I should do now, while we're still trying to figure this out, why don't I send a standard version of our contract over to your legal team, have them take a look at it while you and I are working on how we solve your problem? That way we can move this faster later.
1: Yeah, that's a great, that's a great recommendation. We we try to do what we call co-creating the proposal or co-creating the recommendations, yes. yes. right? So, you know, we might go back to a client and be like, look, you know, we have a couple ways to go at this instead of us guessing and putting in the proposal, let's discuss it now and let let us get your feedback on it now. So when you see the proposal and the recommendations, you can recognize your own
0: contribution into what we're putting in front of you. Yeah, we might, we would call that a pre-proposal and the way we, we teach to frame it is similar. We'd say, um, you should send over the proposal and say, this is not the final version. It's a it's a current version. It's my current thinking. Could you do me a favor? Let's look at this together. Tell me what on this you're not comfortable with. What do you think we need to change? What did I not get just right? How, what would you add to it or take away from it to make it better? Same exact thing as co-creating, but the term pre-proposal for some reason, um, keeps people sitting on the same side of the table versus someone's uh, trying just to close somebody.
1: Got it. Um, I I like that. I, I like that vernacular a lot. So, um, we talked a little bit about this, but there are so many options available to customers today, you know, including doing nothing right. You can spend the entire time executing the sales cycle with them only for them at the very end to be like, Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait on this. So, um, what do you think is contributing to that? Because I actually see that happening a little more than I did a couple of years ago. And what are some things besides uh, additional things besides that we just talked about that might help us prevent that from happening?
0: Yeah. So, um, one of, one of the things that so you're so doing nothing is actually a very, very big um competitor to a lot of things that we sell. Doing nothing is a big competitor because doing nothing means that they're okay with the way things currently are. And if we haven't uncovered a a big enough need or or haven't um, uncovered a desired business result that they're really going after, it's just kind of like, yeah, maybe, but if I don't spend anything that, 50,000 or that 100,000 that I was going to spend with you, that puts my kid through a couple of years of college, right? And and that and that's what people are really thinking. That's the dilemma that they have is like, do I believe doing what you're proposing is really going to give me that much of an incremental lift or would I be better off keeping that money or hiring another person or do it taking that European vacation that I've always wanted to take. So that's a big, big issue. I think what you want to do is you want to, um, you want to find out people's desired business results. And then after that, you want to make sure that you have them prioritize those desired business results by what's important and what's most urgent. And that's a big clarification. Um, we tend to get fixated on what people feel is urgent however people tend to spend money to solve the most important problems they'll just quickly fix the urgent but they'll they'll invest time and energy and money and resources into the important like they should right like they should and clarifying that during this decision making process and saying hey, of all these things that we've uncovered here together, which one of these are the most important and which one of these are the most urgent? And then taking that next step to say, most of the people that I work with tend to put the largest percentage of their time and effort, resources, money, budget behind the most important thing. Is that what you're thinking you might do in this situation? And then letting them answer and, and find out where their heads, where they are at their, in their journey, where they are. And the, they might say, yeah, that is the most important, but I'm not ready to do any investing in there. And then you say, OK, well, then why not? Or what are you thinking is the most important thing? Maybe I misread this whole, well, but that important versus urgent seems to be a pretty big, a, a big thing to get people over.
1: Great, Matt. Thanks. So uh, one of the questions that I get asked a lot uh, when we start to talk about the buyer journey is specific sales tactics that you've seen executed that have tightened up or shortened the back end part of the buyer journey. So what do you typically help clients with around uh, this pain that they might be dealing with?
0: Yeah, so there's a concept that we've been That we've been teaching for several years and it's called contracting and partnering and let me explain what contracting and partnering is because I think it's a really good tool for salespeople to use Um, Contracting and partnering to give you an analogy would be like when you go to the dentist and the dentist says I'm going to give you a shot and you're going to feel a slight pinch and you brace yourself and sure enough, you feel something but it's, it's not that bad because You were expecting it and and that's just okay. And actually the feeling that you typically uh, have is, oh, that really wasn't that bad. Well, imagine if the dentist never said that to you and all you saw was a needle out of the corner of your eye and then you saw that needle getting jabbed into the side of your face. It would be very, very painful. And I I think what happens, or an awkward feeling too. And I think that's what happens when salespeople sometimes rush the proposal. the client's really not expecting it, and in a weird sort of crazy way, it's almost like a needle out of the corner. They see a needle out of the corner of their eye being jabbed in their face, and so that that can give you a really um, a crude analogy to to that. Um, but when we rush the sales process, that's essentially what we're doing. So when it comes to pr- presenting the proposal. I want to know, have we contracted and partnered with our prospect or with our client um, For essentially every single thing that is in that proposal. At at the Center for Sales Strategy, we would call that the no surprise proposal. Right. I mean, the, uh, the concept is that when I give you this proposal, there's no surprises. It's everything that we've talked about, but I'll even take it one step further than that. It's not just that we've contracted and partnered on all the things we're presenting. We've also contracted and partnered and made sure that the little details are taken care of. For example, if you put on there that the start date is July 1st because that's the date that you had thought that you were gonna start, but in the prospect's mind or the client's mind, they're thinking it's an August 1st start. Well, that could slow down a pros- That could slow down the proposal. That could slow down the the signature because the date's wrong, or perhaps the company has a legal name and, and you just know them as the name they do business with. And you, it's all those little details that you got to get right, so that when they look at that proposal from you, they're like, "Yep, yep, we talked about that. We talked about that. You got that right." Everything is ready to go. In fact, uh, a really a really good way to do this, especially if um, there's a difference between the proposal that you present and the contract that you send, and a lot of times there is a difference in some organizations. A lot of times what I see people do is say, Hey Mike. Well, we're going back and forth on the proposal and making sure that it's customized and exactly what you want so that it gets you the, the return on investment that you're looking for. Why don't I send over just a generic form of our contract so that you can look at that or you can have your legal team look at that to make sure that there's nothing in the contract that could slow this down once you and I agree on this proposal. All that sort of contracting and partnering on next steps and when things will start and how we will proceed, those are master selling techniques that that anybody that is gonna close deals and close deals often um, they're, gonna, they're gonna have to do this at a high level. There's some, there's some additional things with contracting and partnering. Uh, uh, as you get into it, you'll start to realize that contracting and partnering isn't just for the sales process. It's a nice thing to do in your personal life too. It's a nice thing to do with, with if you have kids, or if you have a spouse, or if you have a, a group of uh, people that you play on a sports team with, whatever you do, Whenever there's multiple decision makers involved or mul- multiple people involved, contracting and partnering is just a nice way to do business.
1: Yeah, we, I, I agree. We actually call that co-creating the recommendations, which we we try to kind of go back to the uh, prospect a number of times during that stage of their buyer journey. and. You know, ask them some qualifying questions and tell them what this might cost, and make sure it's okay. With the goal being very similar to yours, when they get those recommendations, they've seen a lot of this before. They've been involved in this in the process with us. There are no surprises. So I think that's a really nice um, uh, way to think about the kind of relationship you want to have with prospects at the back end of the buyer journey here. So. Thank you. That was really good. One of the things we talk about a lot on the podcast, and I want to give you some time to talk about it too, is metrics and measurement. So uh, tell me a little bit about what some of the KPIs we might be thinking about as we look at the back end of the buyer journey. Like obviously close rate on proposals submitted is an obvious one and the length of the sales cycle is an obvious one. But what are some other metrics that we should be looking at here at the back end of the buyer journey to know whether our sales process is effective or not?
0: Yeah. um, So close rate, obviously important. And and, uh, but another one beyond the two that you mentioned is how long something sits in each in each step um depending on the industry that you look at you're going to have to fi- we're going to have to figure out what the right amount of length of time is i work with a lot of um i, I work with a lot of uh, broadcasters radio stations and tv stations uh newspapers digital companies and what what we know in this industry is that from the time that you present a proposal to the time it closes is typically less than 30 days so one of the things i always look at is how much of your pending how much of your pipeline is over 30 days and a little bit to do with the sales the length of the sales cycle but what it also really does is it tells you when you know it's not going to happen statistically you know it's not going to happen they're at least not going to say yes to that proposal you might need to revisit it you might need to go back so that's one the second thing is and again, it's, it's industry, but I always look at if there's been no movement in about 10 days, then there's something wrong with the, with the, with, with the proposal or with the direction that you're going with your solution. Because when people are interested, they're involved. They're engaged. There's questions going back and forth. There's idea sharing going back and forth. There's objections to handle um, that are going back and forth, but there's movement. And when there's no movement for a period of 10 days at all. Um, uh, short of the person's uh, on, a, on a vacation and, and isn't going to be available, you'd have known about that up front. It typically means that something has gone wrong. So those are some of the metrics. Um, that we look at is uh, the amount of time that goes on between each interaction and then the amount of time something sits in pending. Um, those would be a couple of KPIs that we would look at. Um, the other thing that, that we sometimes look at is um, the average amount, the, so the closing ratio based on the product or the service or the amount being sold. For example, um, someone might have a closing ratio of, um, let's just call it 25%. They close 25% of deals they put out there. But- any deal over $100,000 are closing at 75%. So if you can sometimes get a handle on not just overall closing ratio, but then bring it down to closing ratio on certain products or on certain dollar amounts, it'll tell you a lot about the sales process that you're maybe bringing people through and where you might be able to improve on the front and middle part of the sales process versus just this part right here where we're talking about the closing.
1: Yeah, it's awesome, really helpful. The other thing we've been talking about uh, pretty consistently with guests on the show is about technology. Uh, There is an unbelievable amount of sales and marketing technology now. I think the number is something like 7,000 different software Mm -hmm. tools that are hitting the smart tech and sales space. And one of the things we're trying to do is help uh, people make heads or tails out of what they're considering and why they're considering it. Uh, I'm sure you know a lot of people feel like well software is going to solve all my problems rarely is that the case it's usually process that needs to be fixed and then applying software to that but what kind of technology are, are you seeing in the sales process in the back end of the sales process are you guys testing any tools or working with any clients on any interesting software tools that might help might help us do some of the things we've been talking about in the show earlier
0: yeah a couple of things that come to mind and I agree with you and and I'm so glad you said it. I agree with you 1000% software doesn't solve and we were making sales long before there was software and we were doing and we were doing it right we got to have the right systems the right process the right KPIs the right accountability in place and if that's all in place then software might enhance and help that Um, and and that's really what we're talking about here so I I happen to like I happen to like using technology that allows you to know when emails have been opened. I happen to like technology that allows you to know when proposals have been opened. I like technology that not only has it been opened, but what page did they look at or spend time on? Did they share that proposal with anybody? Um, and if so, who did they share it with? And when was the last time they looked at it? I think all of that technology should just be automatic. In a, If you're a salesperson today, you you have to have you have to know if people are opening your emails and you have to know if they're opening your proposals and how much time they're spending on it because how many times think about before technology how many times did you call a prospect and they said oh yeah i looked at your proposal and you know i don't know i need to review it again with some of my partners and i'll need to get back to you when you know and 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 you're like okay great and then you'd hang up the phone you go into your boss go hey Seems like they really like it. They're just gonna review it with their partners. Uh, but he said he looked at it and it was great. But now with technology, you know they haven't looked at it. And so knowing how to, and we coach people and knowing how to deal with it. it's been three days and they haven't looked at your proposal. So sending another follow up note with something as simple as, hey, I'm not sure you've had a chance to look at this proposal. I know how emails can get lost. I'm putting this back at the top of your inbox. Do me a favor. Take a look at this proposal over the next 24 hours, and then get back to me and let me know if there's anything that we need to uh, we need to change or, uh, or to modify so that you can sign off on it. I think that sort of technology of tracking your emails and knowing the open. As for companies that do that, Mike, there's a million companies. I mean, I'm a big HubSpot, you know, fanboy and uh, you know, platinum partner, and we love working with those guys. They do. They have a great product that does that. But honestly, lots of companies have that product. It's more important that you that you get the software that works and fits in with your with your tech stack that you have at your business. Um, I think they all probably do a really good job. I'm also a second one. I'm also um, a fan of the shared screen ex- experience, whether it's Zoom or GoToMeeting or iMeet or Skype for Business or whichever one you can get to work uh, and, and you feel confident in. But I think the more Uh, I think face-to-face appointments are the very best. Um, I I also realize that it's, you know, the 21st century, it's about 18, face-to-face appointments aren't always available. So the next best thing is a shared screen and put video on and have a conversation. You gotta have the technology to do that. And then um, the last piece that we're looking into, and it's one that we're starting to experiment with our clients, is um, call coaching. And the ability to record um, the phone call and uh, either one side or both sides, depending on the, the laws and the state that you live. But being able to record the call for coaching purposes that to, to then look at and and look, okay, how many times. First of all, does the person enunciate. Well, or are they a mumbler and You know what is what are their word choices and how often do they handle uh, bring up uh overcoming objections and how often do they bring up the competition or what do they do about price the fact that you can go in and then uh do some real good call coaching it is a phenomenal new thing that we're testing so i think those would be the the three things the email slash proposal tracking the shared screen experience and the call coaching
1: that's great matt thanks a lot matt this has been really insightful and i really appreciate you joining us Um, thank you so much uh, so uh, in this episode we obviously talked a lot about the decision-making stage and Matt helped us figure out how we can get more people to say yes at the back end of the buyer journey in our next episode we're going to talk about kind of like an understated stage we call it the delivery stage how important is it today to, to deliver to your customers an amazing remarkable experience and how that actually contributes to revenue generation not only obviously from getting them to buy more or buy different products or services or continue to work with you, but how is that delivery experience going to impact your ability to get more new customers? We're gonna make the connection between kind of taking care of your current customers and getting new customers. And we have a really amazing guest, Jean Bliss. She's the president of Customer Bliss, and she's gonna talk about her new book, Would You Do That To Your Mother?, which I think is a really interesting concept to help us understand how we really wanna work with our our customers and our clients to give them that amazing experience. So with her, we're going to talk about four or five ways to drive revenue in your existing customer base. What metrics we want to use to track customer satisfaction? How to get reviews? How to get uh, references? Those are really important in the sales process, also. So this is not going to be an episode you want to make. Uh, you're not going to want to miss. So Matt, thank you again, and to uh, all of our uh, our uh, loyal uh, listeners.